I hope you've enjoyed. Hi, this is Donna Bearstein, founder and publisher of Teferit Journal. Tonight, I'm happy to interview friend and fellow author Rana Weinberg. Rana is the author of the novel On Bittersweet Place and a debut collection, Second Language, which won the New Rivers Press Many Voices Project Literary Competition and was the runner-up for the 2006 Reform Judaism Prize for Jewish Fiction. Her stories have appeared in American Way, Colorado Review, Michigan Quarterly Review, South Dakota Review, and elsewhere, and have been broadcast on National Public Radio. She is the recipient of a scholarship in fiction to the Breadloaf Writers Conference and residencies to the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts and the Ragdale Foundation. Rana has also been awarded a fellowship in fiction from the New York Foundation for the Arts and is the founding fiction editor of the Bellevue Literary, Literary Review. She currently lives in New York City. Please join me in welcoming Rana Weinberg. Rana, thanks so much for being with us on Teparit Talk tonight. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah. Um, you are a fiction writer and editor at the Bellevue Literary Review, um, multi-talented, switch, switching between novels and short stories. And I thought we might start by um, talking about how how you do that, how you move between genres, if you have a preference between genres. Um uh, and tell us a little bit about your work in that way. Okay, thank you. Well, first, thanks for the kind words. Um, I have gone back and forth between novel and short fiction, and I've loved writing both a novel and short stories. I think that I naturally gravitate to short stories. That's sort of my natural voice. I enjoy creating new characters and situations and trying to capture moments in time. But I found that I loved writing the novel because I was able to stay with the same characters over a very long period of time for years as I was writing. And I saw them develop and change, and I became very attached to them. And so when I finished writing on Bittersweet Place, I was actually sorry to leave the book. I felt like I was part of the character's family. So it was a different kind of attachment than I felt to a story, I think, because it's a longer body of work. And I found that the forms were very different. The novel allowed me to be expansive and to use digressions, where a short story demands economy and precision. Mm -hmm. And did you go back and forth while you were um, working on the novel? Did you occasionally take a break and write a story? or I did, and actually that's a good way to put it. I, I looked forward to writing a story during a break from the novel because... I could write a story more quickly and hold a whole story in my head, and it was kind of a, a release and just a change from the um, work that's involved in a novel. It was just nice to take a break. Mm-hmm. And it kind of energized and, me in terms of going back to the novel. Mm-hmm. And and your novel, On Bittersweet Place, is historical fiction. Um, I yes. wonder if you could um, tell us a little bit about the story in the novel and then and then read us uh, an excerpt from it. 
Okay, that sounds great. Um, the story is about Lena Chernitsky, who is a young Russian Jew, and she and her family flee the flee the Ukraine um, during the October Revolution. They come to Chicago in the 1920s, and the story follows Lena as she and her family settle in Chicago in the 1920s, and um, she faces she she enters adolescence um, in Chicago, and she um, faces many challenges that she didn't expect in the new country, um, prejudice, um, difficulties fitting into a new society, having to learn about a new society. Um, so her family fled hardship, but found a different kind of challenge and hardship in the new country. And did you and then, know before, um, I'm sorry to interrupt, um, but no, I'm just fine. curious, how much of the plot did you know when you first started writing on Bittersweet Place? Well, I knew that she and her family would flee from Russia, and I had an idea about the circumstances, but I really didn't know what was going to happen when they came to Chicago. And in fact, some characters in my first draft who were minor ended up becoming more major characters, and I had no idea how the novel was going to end. So it was kind of an experience of discovery as I was writing. I discovered what was going to happen to her and her family, and it's written in her voice, and I found... Once I discovered her voice, she kind of pulled me through the novel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what? How? How many years um, time period does it cover? Oh, how many years does the novel cover? It uh-huh. um, it comes to Chicago in 1922, and so there's a flashback to Russia, but they're in Chicago in mm-hmm. 1922, and it ends in 19, I think, 28. So it covers about mm-hmm. six years. So she's 10 when she gets to the United States, and the book ends when she's 16. Mm-hmm. And were there seeds um, was, were there seeds for this novel in stories that you had heard from your family, or was it all made up, or how did you have to do no, a lot of research? Um, that's that's a very yeah I had to do research, but that's a very good point. The Russian portions of the novel um, are loosely based on my family history and were inspired by that. My mother's family fled from Russia before she was born, and I'd heard many stories about that, and I found them gripping, and I always thought that I wanted to write something about that. I knew much less about what happened when they came to Chicago. Portions are really um, part of my imagination or products of my imagination. I had mm-hmm. to do a lot of research, though. I had to learn about Russia during World War One and about Chicago and the world during the 1920s. So I read a lot of books, and I did research on the Internet, and there were some generous librarians at the Chicago Public Library and the Chicago History Museum who also helped me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you have documents that your mother had that, that she had brought from Russia, or did you have any, or just, or stories that you had, that, that had been passed No, that's down? actually really a, a good question. I had my grandfather's naturalization certificate, and I have mm-hmm. a cousin, a second cousin, who had done some research on the family history, so I had kind of bits and pieces, like the name of the boat that they came on, that he had found in his own research. And then I had stories. Actually, when I was in my 20s, a cousin of mine and I 
interviewed some of our older family members, our grandparents and great aunts and uncles, about their journey, their life in Russia and their journey to the United States. And we ended up putting that on cassette tapes. This was a long time ago. Mm. And so mm. I had those tapes, and I remembered the stories. So that was kind of a reference for their life in Russia. But again, they didn't mm-hmm. talk that much about what happened in the United States. But that kind of was my inspiration, and I sometimes would go back to that just to hear the voice or to you know, try and capture what it might have been like when they were fleeing. Mm-hmm. And then when I was writing the book, I also um, asked some older relatives, you know, just questions about if they had been alive in the 1920s, if they could tell me what, what life was like. And so they would, you know, tell me a little bit here and there, maybe about riding the streetcar, nothing really specific, but, you know, just a couple of details that really sparked my imagination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you read us an excerpt? Yes, I would love to. Thank you for asking. I'm going to read part of the prologue. Um, So this is how the book starts. On Bittersweet Place, Prologue, September 1922. The first day in the apartment on Bittersweet Place, my father carried two wooden crates to a corner of the living room. He set a wide piece of wood on top. Desk, he said. This is your desk, Lena. He gave me three pencils and a square black notebook. Here, I began my labors in English. I was ten years old. Each night, I printed words. Smokestacks in the sky rise high, blue like a sea, dear yam. The noises of the city and the apartment were my companions. The roar of the elevated train, the clatter of cars, the lawnflight and relatives talking and arguing. From the open window, I imagined I could see all the way to Maxwell Street, where pushcarts squeezed one next to another like squatters' houses, where the odors of sweet, warm breads and foul raw chickens rose in the air. If I walked east from the apartment, I knew I would find the blue waters of Lake Michigan. In Russia, we lived by a gray-green lake in a white wooden house in Belilovka. What we saw then was all that we knew, the hilly green land, the smoke that flowed like ribbons from a lumber mill, my father's letters that arrived from America on thin white paper. At my desk, I willed myself to forget the past, but the memories charged through my mind. My grandfather at the head of the table, his dark beard gleaming like satin, my grandmother next to him, my uncles and my older brother. I felt safe in that house by the lake. Then we'd heard drunken laughter from outside, Cossacks, the pet lurious, my mother had cried, go to the forest quick. She pushed my brother and me to a window in the back. We scrambled out barefoot and ran. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. And On Bittersweet Place was your second book. Your first book, Second Language, was a collection of stories. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the publishing process for both of those books? I know that you had published individual stories before your collection came out, but maybe tell us a little bit about how um, uh, you came to have, be with New Rivers Press, etc. Okay. Um, well, my first collection, my first collection that was published with New, Wizard, New Rivers Press, won a contest. They have a contest called the Many. Voices Literary Project 
competition. I may not have got I may have transposed some words, but um it's a contest and I submitted the manuscript to it and I had, you know, tried to get a publisher for the manuscript and submitted it to other publishing companies and other contests. But in this case I won the contest, so it was really thrilling. And uh the prize was an honorarium in publication. So um I you know the book was published and um uh, the editors worked with me. I actually originally had about 16 or 17 stories, and in the end we put in 13 stories, and I did a little revision. And it was actually a wonderful experience. Um, you know, I worked with them on the design. They did the design and the cover, and we worked on the stories together. Um, so that was just a real bonus um, to win a contest. And then uh-huh. with On Bittersweet Place, um, I that actually is, is somewhat of a long story. I had an agent the book, which was very exciting because it's hard to get an agent. And she worked with me on doing some edits and then started sending it out to publishers. And we had gotten some really wonderful rejections and it was still out at publishing companies and she sent me an email after she had represented me for a year and told me that she was leaving the publishing uh, industry completely. The uh The whole industry and was going to work for a digital industry. Um, And so she wasn't going to be an agent anymore. And her agency wasn't going to absorb her clients. So I, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to take over from where she left off. um, Mm -hmm. And I decided to try and look for a publisher and agent on my own. And in the course of looking, it was very disappointing when that happened, because she had been very enthusiastic. And it's, you know, easier and nicer to have an agent. But during Mm -hmm. the course of looking, um, I happened to talk to a woman named Lauren Sarand, who is a publicist. She's a wonderful publicist. And she had helped me a little bit with second language. And in the mm-hmm. course of talking to her, I was just talking to her about a different project. She said, do you have a current project? I know someone who is starting a press and is looking for a project. So mm-hmm. um, she suggested I send um, my a collection of short stories. I was putting together a collection and this novel and I sent it to the publishing company, Relegation Books, and the publisher is Dallas Hudgens. And then after a couple of months, he was coming to New York and wanted to meet me for lunch and said that he wanted to publish the novel. So Great. it was really mm-hmm. almost serendipity that I happened to be talking to her and that she thought to mention it to me and that he, in fact, liked the novel. Yeah. And, then, and, then, um, and then the novel... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, and then... I worked with his editor and, um, you know, did some editing and a little development of the novel. Mm-hmm. And I love the cover of On Bittersweet Place um, Thank as you. well. Um, and I know that it was listed on the millions um, as as a book to watch for, right? Was that last yes, year? Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh-huh. Was that, that's thrilled. an honor. Yes, yes that's, that's honor. really exciting. Uh-huh. Um, and, and were and you the, involved the, the, in... Oh, go ahead. Go, no, ask your question, please. No, go what, ahead. What were you, oh, I was going to just, just gonna say ask. regarding the cover, um, yeah. you know, I felt the designer did a great job with the cover as well. I really love it. That's, that is what I was going to ask about the cover. And, and did the designer present you with the idea of the house, of the old house in between the tall buildings, or how did that... Yes, in fact, actually, the design. No, the designer um, presented us 
with five different possible covers, and they were all really mm-hmm. different, and this was one of them. And um, the coloration was a little bit different, slightly different in the version he sent us. And so it was really the decision of, you know, the publisher, the publishing company and myself. Uh, in, and Lauren Saran was going to be the publicist, so she was involved too in terms of what um, cover to use. And we ended up choosing this one. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really happy that we did. Yeah. He yeah. He wanted to... I think in this one he tried to capture the spirit of the book, which was, you know, a little house in the midst of a big city. And the and the city actually and the tall buildings are a scene from Chicago. Mhm. Mhm. And um you also have a third book that will be due out in two thousand sixteen. Can you tell us a little bit about the upcoming title? Yes. Um, thanks for asking about that. That book is called Nine Facts that can change your life. And that's the title of both the collection and one of the stories in the collection. And it's going to be published by another wonderful small press, Serving House Books. And it should come out in April. And it's a collection of short stories, similar to my book, to my first book, in the sense that they're stories that aren't linked. And um, uh, they're just, you know, different stories about marriage, I guess marriage, divorce, um, betrayal, relationships, relationships mm-hmm. between... Contemporary stories. I'm sorry? Contemporary stories. Yes, it's more contemporary. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, uh, well, having read your stories through the years, you and I first met at Breadloaf Writers Conference in the 90s and... Um, uh, immediately became friends and have read each other's stories for many years and I've all I've always said, Oh yes, I know what you're talking about. I love that <laughs> you know. So I've oh. always been a big fan of your writing and Oh thank you. And um, I've actually very I felt exciting the same way to about see. <laughs> it's very exciting to see see these books come out one after the other. Um, the other thing, the other accomplishment um, one of your other accomplishments is being the long-term fiction editor of the Bellevue Literary Review uh, from Bellevue Hospital. You were there at its founding. You were a key part of its founding. And um, I think our listeners would be interested in hearing how you go about selecting the, the, the stories that you eventually publish in the Bellevue Literary Review and uh, what you're looking for. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to talk about that. I actually have to read a lot of manuscripts um, to determine which ones would even be considered. Um, so when I'm reading the manuscripts, I look for a spark of originality, something that just, there's some sort of spark in it. It's, it's a little hard to describe, but when I read it, I know it. And I look for something that draws me into the story. So after I read the first paragraph or the first page, I really feel compelled to continue. And this can be language or it can be the voice of the story or it can be because of the character or even the situation. And I really like stories that have an emotional center, that are well-written, that are surprising and that move me. So I read a lot of stories that are well-written and very competent, but in the end I end up choosing stories that um, somehow move me and somehow speak to me. So I think in the end it, it becomes a matter of taste for an editor, you know, when you have many stories that are well-written. 
but um, usually a story we publish somehow leaps out from all the other stories that we read. And um, Mm -hmm. it's just hard to say why, but there's something about it that has a uniqueness. Mm -hmm. And Bellevue Literary Review publishes fiction and poetry and nonfiction um, related to, I think, is it the nexus of of medicine and literature that, um, tell us a little bit about that so that, so that, people who might be interested in submitting work would know what um, topics. I know it's very broad, I know, but maybe um, say a little bit about how it relates to to Bellevue Hospital and and what the focus might be. Yeah, I'd be happy to. The focus, we, we talk about our theme as one of health, healing, illness, and the relationship to the human body. So we're looking for creative interpretations of those themes so that the stories don't have to be on a strictly medical theme or, you know, about illness or death because we felt that would be too narrow. It would make the journal too depressing. So we try to find stories or poems or essays that treat these themes in a creative way. So it could be, you know, about healing or something spiritual or um, we once published a story about someone traveling to Turkey who was overweight and the fact that she was heavier, you know, had to do with body image, but it wasn't really strictly speaking on a medical theme. Um, mm-hmm. And the Bellevue Literary Review is published by the Department of Medicine at New York University School of Medicine, and the offices are at Bellevue Hospital. And we took the name of the journal from the hospital. That's why it's called the Bellevue Literary Review. And um, our covers are always photographs from the archives of Bellevue Hospital. So the covers are old photographs of nurses, doctors, patients, ambulances, or, or, or something, you know, that has an interest um, uh, and has a connection with what is published in the journal. Um, we also have uh, hold a contest, an annual contest in the um, fall, and the results are published in the spring where we give prizes for poems, mm-hmm. essays, and uh, short stories. And we sometimes have themed issues. So we have had a theme issue on infectious diseases, and um, we're, our, I think our next theme is memory. Um, but it would probably be helpful for anyone interested in submitting to take a look at the journal. And again, I would emphasize that we really look for a broad range of work so that the story just doesn't have to be uh, medical, and we look for literature where, where our writers are from all over and they're not necessarily doctors or patients at all. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, how many submissions do you, would you estimate you read in a in a month or a quarter or a year? Um, I mean, that's really hard to say. I, I don't keep count. Okay. I should probably, okay. you yeah. know, thousands. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, okay. Um, you know, just publish a very small percent of what comes our way because we only publish two issues a year and they're probably eight to ten short stories. So that's 20 short stories out of, let's say, a thousand or more short stories mm-hmm. that come our way. And I have to say that, you know, I have to reject stories that I really, really like. And I find mm-hmm. that very hard, but just because of space considerations, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. But I know you're very good as an editor in communicating with the authors and uh, 
telling them that you know that it came close or or um, something like that. And and I'm wondering too, like with your own skills as an editor, how that might translate into your own writing. Do you find that do you find them symbiotic, the editing and the writing process? Do you think that they processes? Do you think that they help each other? Do you think you've become a better writer having been an editor for nearly fifteen years now at VOR? Yeah, it's a long time already. I think I have. I think editing has helped me a lot because I've learned that not every word is precious. You know, I've I've learned to be a little more ruthless when I read other people's work and I've tried to transfer that over to my own work and to you know, when I'm editing it or revising to put on that editor's hat. And I've also learned something from every story I've read, you know, from the best story we've ever published to stories that just aren't developed enough. You know, I've learned really what works and what doesn't. And so I think Mm -hmm. about that sometimes when I'm writing my own work. And the other thing that I've learned, which I remind myself of when I submit my own work, is that stories are rejected for so many reasons and it doesn't necessarily have to be because of the quality of the work. Sometimes it's an editor's taste or because a journal has just published a story on a similar subject or the journal needs a particular themed story. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's helped me feel a little bit better about rejection. Mm-hmm. Your rejection. own? or My or, own when I submit something yeah. that's rejected. Sure. And, you know, yeah. I also try to write to authors whose work we reject if I really like the work and let them know, as you say, that it came very close and, you know, yeah. to in, to be encouraging. Mm-hmm. And um, and in your in your daily life, do you divvy up days set aside just for editing work and just for writing work, or do you try to do both in one day? Or how does, and I'm sure it varies, but maybe what's the general trend towards how you how you work that way? No, it varies, but I do try to set aside certain days for writing when I don't do the editing because I find it takes a similar energy. And so when I'm working on my own work, I like to concentrate on that and not, you know, divide my energies. And it's kind mm-hmm. of, I, I found that if I'm working on a project, I really like to immerse myself in that project. If I'm, you know, doing well with it, I can write almost the whole day. Or if I'm not at my desk, you know, ideas will come to me and I'll jot those down. And if I interrupt that with reading other people's work, that it kind of dilutes, you know, my ability to really immerse myself in my work. So I try to set aside, you know, time just for editing and time for writing. Mm-hmm. And when you go to a writing retreat, as I mentioned, um, Brad Lowell also been to VCCA and Ragdale um, several times, I believe, do you take editing work with you there or do you concentrate on your own creative writing? I concentrate on my own writing. I take editing work only if I have a deadline, um, like mm-hmm. if I have a story that has to be edited, so then I'll do it there. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, generally, I try not to you know, read a lot of submissions or anything there because I see it as my time going away to work on my own work. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and do you find, you've been to Ragdale um, several times, do you find that that concentrated stretch of time is really helpful? It's very helpful. It really helps me immerse myself in work. I, you know, have new ideas. I look at the work in a different way. And the other thing is I can accomplish so much there because, you know, life there is really free of distractions. They 
prepare your meals. Well, at least at Ragdale, they prepare dinner, and then they stock the kitchen, so you just get your own breakfast and lunch. So you're not, you know, you're not taking care of all the details of daily living. And I try to keep, you know, those sorts of things at a minimum. And it's, I find it easier to be, you know, incredibly productive there, more so than at home where there are, you know, commitments and distractions. Yes, yes. Um, So what are you working on now? Um, I am now working on two projects. I'm working on the new collection of short stories, which um, I mentioned is called Nine Facts That Can Change Your Life. And I'm um, proofing the manuscript. And it's Mm -hmm. still revising it a little bit, and it's really exciting to see it in the book format. And I'm also... um, writing a couple of other news stories that won't be in the book. And my other major project is I'm writing another novel. This one is very different from Unbittersweet Place. It's a legal novel. It's about a legal case, a public defender, and the insanity defense. Mm -hmm. And you have a background as a lawyer. I do. I do. I'm trained as a lawyer, and I... um, worked as a public defender in Colorado and um, did a lot of trial work then. And and this book actually um, concerns a public defender, so I'm drawing on my experience. Well, and, um, I, I'm very excited to, to see that book come when you're ready, when it's looking for a home and to see it come out. I think that will be exciting too, so. Thank you. Um, anything else? you know, a novel is a like, long project. It's a long project, yes. Um, anything else that you would like to alert our listeners to, either readings of your own or Bellevue Literary Review readings or uh, or your website? Oh. Um, yeah, uh, well, I just wanted to first quickly mention that I've had terrific experiences with the small presses, with Relegation Books, New Rivers Press, and now Serving House Books. You know, they're just yeah. wonderful small presses and they take such care with things. And I um, wanted to mention my website, um, which is www.ronaweinberg.com. And there's information on the site about my books, there are reviews of my books, and also upcoming events. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. Well, Rana, thank you. It's great. I can't believe we've made it this far after bread loaf. It's great. It's uh, I know. It's, it's, a, it's yeah, been a lovely know. ride, and and I know we were both so enthusiastic back then, and and I think we should be pretty grateful about Bellevue Literary Review to Ferret Journal and and book publications and story publications. So that's yeah, I think that's true, and I really so admire nice. to Ferret and what you've done with it. Thank you very much. And it's been wonderful to talk with you. This has been just great. Thank you. Thank you for being on to Ferret Talk tonight, Rana. Uh, I will go ahead and click on our closing, and I really appreciate you spending this time with us. Oh, well, thank you for including me. It's really an honor. It's an honor to have you here. Talk to you again. Okay, bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's Tapera Talk. The show will be archived and accessible for later listening on our website at www.teferretjournal.com. You're invited to join our global community of writers and readers and to subscribe to our literary magazine, Teferret Journal. 
we have a special two-for-one holiday gift offer now. Our next Tafera Talk interview will be with New York Times bestselling author Jacqueline Sheehan on Wednesday, January 13th. In the meantime, all of us at Tiferet wish you and the world a meaningful and creative peace. May we all embody Tiferet in our lives, a loving heart, wise compassion, and an expansive reconciliation of opposites.